Again, good morning. Uh, I guess I haven't introduced myself. My name is Aaron. If this is one of your first times here, I also am a pastor here at Sovereign Grace Church. And this morning, um, I've asked Brandon Andrews, who Phil already spoke about, um, to preach this morning. And so if you want, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. That's where he's going to be be taking you. But, but Brandon has pretty much grown up in this church, um, has served faithfully throughout his short life, 22 22 long years, um, but great guy, great husband, faithful man, loves God's word, um, and so would you please just welcome Brandon to the pulpit. Let's pray together. God, we need you. We need you in these next minutes. God, we want to love you more. We want to see you more clearly. We want to see your beauty. We want to see your glory. We want to taste your sweetness. And so, God, we ask that you would come. We ask for your spirit to open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to understand. God, we ask that you would take this word and implant it into our hearts, God. We want to love you more. We want to see Jesus. We want to love him and his gospel. So God, help us as we do so. Bless this time. Help the preaching of your word. Let it do what it's intended to do for your glory and our joy. And we pray. Amen. Yes, as Aaron said, open your Bible to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50 is where we will be this morning, I encourage us, let's continue worshiping. Let's not stop the worship at the singing. Let's continue to worship over God's word this morning. So before we read our passage in Luke, I want to show you from the Apostle Paul that we have been forgiven by, forgiven much by Jesus to love much of Jesus. Let me say it another way. Christ canceled our sin so we would cherish our savior here's how paul says it and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who cherish god and are called according to his purpose what no eye has seen no ear heard no the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who cherish him There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have cherished his appearing. If anyone has no cherish for the Lord, let him be accursed. Grace be with all who cherish our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth that we have been forgiven much by Jesus, to love much of Jesus. Jesus, or that Christ canceled our sin so that we would cherish our Savior, is the truth we see in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. Jesus teaches it, and the woman lives it. Let's read it together, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner 
when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us first observe the one who Jesus is here to teach. Simon the Pharisee. He says in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And although the woman is who we all are to emulate, it is Simon who we relate to. So look with me at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. If we are to understand the rest of this story in Luke 7, the phrase in verse 36, reclined at table, it demands explanation. And in Jesus' day, reclining at table was a common cultural tradition. The Greek verb means to lie down. And it describes the posture of eating at a meal. Describes Jesus' posture, the Pharisees' posture. They did not sit down at or in chairs as we do, but reclined or laid down on couches with one elbow on the table that was in front of them, with one hand free to eat and drink, and with their feet stretched out behind them. And though Simon is the initiator of this dinner, well, let me at least first say this is, this is a significant detail for us. Because we'll see that why is this significant detail, because in verse 38, which we'll get to in a minute. But though Simon is the initiator of this dinner and the inviter of this dinner, Luke quickly turns our attention to a woman with the words, and behold. Verse 37, and behold. Behold means to be sure to see. It means to look. 
It means to see. It means to low. And Luke wants us to behold this woman. And church, as we do, as we behold this woman, may we become like this woman today. May we see Jesus' beauty like she did. May we taste Jesus' sweetness like she did. So let's continue with verse 37. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. The phrase Luke uses to describe this woman, a woman of the city who was a sinner, is synonymous with a prostitute. But while Luke provides a description of this woman, he does not provide her name, as he did with the Pharisee. Luke doesn't want her to be known by who she is, but what she is. A sinner is her name. She was known by her condition, not her name. This was her title, a sinner. And Luke knows what we all know to be true, that light shines in the dark. And he wants the light to shine in the dark of this woman, the light of Jesus, the light of the gospel. So Luke, the Pharisee, or Luke, the Pharisee and Jesus, they they take turns describing this woman and each emphasize her sin. And the repetition that we see in this passage is intentional. Let me read them to you. Verse 37. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Verse 39, who and what sort of woman this is. Verse 39, she is a sinner. Verse 41, she is the one who we'll see is the 500 denarii sinner. And verse 47, Jesus says her sins are many. Verse 37 tells us the woman goes to the Pharisee's house, but Luke doesn't say the Pharisee invited the woman. He explicitly said in verse 36 that the Pharisee invited Jesus, but he doesn't say the Pharisee invited the woman. Why? Because she wasn't invited. She wasn't invited to the Pharisee's house like Jesus was. If anyone wasn't invited to this Pharisee's house who wasn't on the invite list, it was her. Because the Pharisees were like the self-righteous in Isaiah 65, 5, who say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. No, a a mere invitation was not why the woman went to the Pharisee's house. Luke says that she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. Glory, this unnamed woman was willing to go to the place that she was most unwanted For the person she most wanted. She goes to the Pharisee's house for Jesus. Look with me at verses 37 and 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. These were common cultural courtesies that a host would do when his guests arrived. But 
This wasn't done by Simon. No, rather an uninvited prostitute. Simon invited Jesus, but didn't show Jesus the honor of a mere guest. Rather, the woman came to the Pharisee's house for Jesus because he was her savior. And we learn this in verse 48 when Jesus says to her later on, your sins are forgiven. And that phrase is in the perfect tense, meaning it's an action in the past, but continues in the present. Therefore, when we read that, when we read that when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house in verse 37, the woman did not go for forgiveness. She had already been forgiven in the past before this scene in Luke 7. Therefore, she arrived at the Pharisee's house uninvited, but not unforgiven. And the woman knows this. That is why she's here. She wets and wipes Jesus's feet, kisses his feet, and anoints them with the ointment because of forgiveness, not for forgiveness. This wasn't her effort to be forgiven, but to enjoy her forgiver. The woman, when forgiven, did not abuse the grace of God to continue in her sin, but rather she used it to cherish her Savior. And the actions that we see in verses 37 and 38 are the overflow of a love that she has for her Savior. She can't help it. Her love must be expressed. This woman has tasted the fountain of the living water, and she comes to drink more. Her love for Jesus here is evidence of her forgiveness then. This church is a life transformed by the gospel. And this is what I want us to see, church. This is a Christian. This is what a Christian looks like. And Simon's response to this is this, verse 39. He says, if this man, notice the if, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. But Jesus is going to teach Simon how a sinful prostitute comes to love Jesus. First, he's going to teach us with a parable in verse 42, and then with an explanation of the parable in verse 47. And as Jesus teaches Simon, let us also be taught by our Savior. Look with me at verses 41 and 42. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? A denarii was a Roman silver coin. It was the average day's pay for a common worker in the country. In Jesus' parable, one debtor owes a moneylender two years' worth of wages. The other debtor owes the moneylender two months. And Jesus means for these two debtors to resemble the woman and the Pharisee. For their sins, the woman owed 500 denarii, 
and Simon owed 50. He's saying that the Pharisee has sinned less than the woman. Simon and Pharisee owe different amounts of debt. Here's what I want us to see. Both are unable to pay. Both are unable to pay. The Pharisee and the prostitute stand in the same relation to God, the moneylender. Big or small, many or few, private or public, to a holy God, sin is sin and deserves punishment. And whether our debt be more or less, it is more than we can afford. Our standing before God is in debt. We owe an incalculable debt for our sin. So whether you are a sinner like the woman or a sinner like the Pharisee, your standing is the same to God in debt. And notice in verse 42, it is when they could not pay, when they could not pay that he canceled the debt of both. How many of us are trying to pay our own debt? If we would just admit, I have nothing to pay, I cannot pay. When that happened in our parable, he canceled the debt of both. And don't miss the he in this parable. Don't miss the he. He canceled the debt of both. This parable is all God. All God. The phrase in English, he canceled the debt, is actually just one verb in the Greek, meaning he graciously forgives. Therefore, Luke 7.42 can read, he graciously forgave the debt of both. He graciously forgave the debt of both. But here's the question. How can God the moneylender cancel debt without payment? How can God graciously forgive the debt of both without payment? Anybody or somebody, when anybody forgives a debt, they themselves incur that debt in full. Forgiven debt is not vanished debt. It is transferred to the one who forgave the debt. The debt debt doesn't just merely disappear. It still has to be paid. If you have a debt and I want to cancel your debt, that means I take on your debt. I have to pay your debt. And when God canceled our debt, he incurred the debt. He took our debt debt and here's the glory he paid it paul uses the same greek word in romans 8 32 he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not with him graciously give us all things so we see this greek word in parable form and in pauline form and the connection between the two is this that as the money lender graciously forgave the two debtors So God did for us by giving up his son. Lest we think that the payment for our debt was cheap or easy or inexpensive, this wasn't a fair trade. Jesus paid with his blood. It cost him his life. God gave his son. Debtors, us, we have our debt forgiven without paying for it. That's not fair. That's grace. That is grace. It was our debt that Jesus died 
to cancel. He had no debt, but he died to pay our debt because there was no other way for us to get out of our debt. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. Because of sin, we are debtors to the cross. And because of the cross, we are no longer debtors. Church, we are rich in debt, and God is richer in grace. Our full debt, our full debt was paid at the cross. There is no payment plan for this debt. Oh, how many of us live this as if there's a payment plan, that some of my debt is paid off, but not all. No, at the cross, Christ canceled our debt once for all. His death was sufficient, enough for both debtors. And here's the question. Do you love him for it? Do you love him for it? The song that breaks out in heaven forever is not, look, debtors got in. That's not the song. The song is, worthy are you. Your debt was canceled so that you can love him. And let the contrast between Simon and the woman show that a debt-free person does not live like one who is in debt. In other words, the life of the forgiven should not reflect the life of the unforgiven. And Jesus, in verse 42, identifies the difference between these two, between the forgiven, between the unforgiven, as love. Look at the end of verse 42. Now, which of them will love him more? The question that Jesus posed to Simon was not which of them will love him. It's not the question. Which of them will love him what? More. More. So love is implied in his question. And here's the question. Who are we loving? Him. Him. The one who canceled our debt. Our debt was canceled by him and for him. Forgiveness is not an end in and of itself, but a means of getting and loving God. To Jesus, it is impossible. It is impossible to have your debt canceled and not love the one who canceled it. This is what we see with the woman. Verses 37 and 38 are the effect of her forgiveness. God forgave her so she would love him. Her forgiveness from God produced love for God. Forgiven sinners, they will love their Savior. A canceled sinner will always lead to a cherished Savior. And the opposite is true as well, that no love for God proves no forgiveness from God. 
And the woman's salvation, it was evident, not by something she said. She didn't say anything, not, but by her love for her Savior. That's how her salvation is evident. Here's a question. Is the salvation of your love for Jesus present? And the same reason why she loved Jesus is why we should love Jesus. He's the canceller of our debt. We love because he first loved us. The proof of our love is provided by our lives. Church, may we live as debt-free people. And three times in our story, Luke draws our attention to the fact that Simon is the one who invited Jesus. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him, verse 44, do you see this woman? This is Jesus talking. I entered your house. So to Jesus, intrigue is inadequate. He rebukes the host who was interested in him, yet without love for him. Is an interest in my wife enough for her to know that I love her? No. And if it's not enough for her, it's not enough for Jesus. But what does, here's the question, does the person of Jesus mean to you? The person. What does the person of Jesus mean to you? Luke tells us who Simon sees Jesus as. In verse 39, Simon says, if this man were a prophet... In verse 40, he calls him teacher. Has your relationship to Jesus gone beyond invitation? Does your relationship with Jesus merely consist of, I asked him into my heart. I invited Jesus into my heart. Interest isn't enough for Jesus. Interest in Jesus isn't enough. Jesus demands love. It's the only and the only natural and appropriate response to the one who has paid your debt. The logic of Jesus' parable in verse 42, it, it makes sense to Simon. We know this because Jesus confirms his answer. He says, you have judged rightly. And as it does to all of us, of course the one who had their larger debt canceled would love the one who canceled it more. That makes sense. But If Simon knew the answer, then why didn't he live the answer? Let Simon serve as a warning to us that we can know the facts, but not love the facts. The problem was was not Simon's head, but it was Simon's heart. And in verse 47, Jesus explains to Simon why he doesn't love like the woman. Verse 47 Jesus says to Simon, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Simon's pride blinded his heart from seeing his sin. And therefore his need for a savior. If he is no sinner... He needs no Savior. And the heart that will keep 
beating for Christ is the heart that understands it is a sinner in need of a Savior. Every day, not one time, every day we are sinners in need of a Savior. This is the pulse of Christianity. Sight of sin, keep the Christian sprinting to Jesus like the woman. If we forget that, our spiritual heart will stop beating. There will be no pulse found for Christ because only the one who sees the pervasiveness of his sin can see the preciousness of his Savior. In other words, the depth of our sin reveals the depth of his love. And one of Satan's greatest schemes he deploys is making us feel numb to our sin. When a doctor numbs a patient, the numbness is meant to reduce sensitivity. And this is what Satan does to his patients, you and me. He numbs the area of our heart, making us insensitive to our sin and numb to our Savior. And when we become numb to our sin, we become numb to our Savior. Physical faith, physical numbness fades with time, but spiritual numbness doesn't. The longer it goes, the worse it grows. So church, let the numbness wear off with sight of sin and sight of Savior. Gaze at the gospel. Stare at the Savior. Concentrate on the cross. Linger over his love. Meditate on God's mercy. If we see our sin clearly, we will love Jesus dearly. Puritan Thomas Watson says, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Verse 48. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. May those who love Jesus much hear Jesus' words. I don't say all of us. For some, the Spirit is impressing upon us to examine if we're forgiven. Because you are like Simon and have little love. But those who love Jesus much hear Jesus say the words. He said to the woman as if he's saying them to you directly right now. Your sins are forgiven. Like the woman, have full assurance from those words. And go in peace. That's what he says at the end. Go in peace. Literally, go into peace. Go into God's shalom and live there forever. This is the glory of the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. In verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. The contingency clause of this payment is faith. Jesus did not say to the woman, your love has saved you. But your faith has saved you. The woman's worship of Jesus in verses 37 and 38, is the fruit of her faith in Jesus. Saving faith is believing Jesus and loving Jesus. 
It not only means belief in the Savior, but love of the Savior. And this is how Paul talks in Philippians 3.8. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is how Jesus pictures conversion this way in Matthew 13.44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus was precious to Paul. And Jesus is the treasure in Matthew 13, 44. So I don't ask us this morning, do you believe in Jesus? That's an eternally important question, but for a different sermon one day. I say, do you love Jesus? Is he precious to you? Is he your treasure? He was to the woman. That's why she anointed Jesus' feet with the ointment. Because even his feet are of more value to her than anything else the world could offer her. The woman's faith is demonstrated by her worship of Jesus. Her affections aren't the cause of her salvation. They are the effect of her salvation. She has love for Jesus. Because she has faith in Jesus. Faith and love are not separate. Christ canceled our sin so we would cherish our Savior. Church, let me ask you this morning. Did did you arrive debt-free this morning? If not, leave debt-free. Those who need your debt canceled come to Jesus. Let the woman show God has never met a sin so deep, a sinner so beyond, that his grace cannot reach. John Newton captures the essence of Luke 7, 36 through 50 in his hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. If you're a wretch, be saved. If you're saved, don't forget the one who saved a wretch like you. If you're lost, be found. If you're found, don't forget the one who found you. If you're blind, don't forget the one who gave you eyes to see. Because of Jesus, we have been forgiven of much. Church, may we love him much. He is infinitely worth it. Amen? Let me pray. Oh God, we love you. We thank you for this truth in Luke 7, 36 through 50. God, of your glory, of your love for your people. This is Jesus' heart for sinners. He welcomes us with open arms because it's not about us. It's about him. His debt, his death, he died for our debt. And so God, we praise you for that. We lift your name high for that. We praise the one who paid our debt 
say thank you, God. Take this word. Help us to see it more clearly. Help us to love it. Help us to cherish it. Help us to cherish you. God, let this be for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Come, Chris, come on up. the band join us. If you can stand, please. We're going to close our time by uh, praising the Lord, worshiping him.